Well, it's, uh, it's wonderful to have this opportunity. I am quite um, overwhelmed to get to do this. I've already had the first uh, test of being a preacher at Hope, and that is to uh, work out how this ear thing works. <laughs> I feel like I have failed so far, but it may fall off at some point. Can you hear me okay? Is it all coming out good, right? Uh, I'm Tim. Uh, I've been in this church for about seven years. Ish, you know, how long have you been in Dan? Yeah, seven years. He came in there a week before me. Um, and uh, it's been an, uh, an amazing journey these seven years. Um, I got married in that time. I traveled the world in that time. I've had a baby in that time. Um, and Hope, sorry? Yep, <laughs> it was a clever decision. And uh, Hope has been um, like... I don't know, like, I, f- I speak to a lot of people, and not many people really boast about their church. You know, they don't really, like, think, like, I've got an amazing church. Like, I love my church. I don't hear that that much, but I am the biggest boaster of hope everywhere. Like, everyone I talk to, I'm like, I actually love my church. Like, my church is a home. My church is a family. I don't want to leave this beautifully sunny city, not just because of the weather, but because of the family that we have here and the people that make it up, that actually, like, I'm known, that the people who have my back, that um, we feel connected and joined, and, like, I really believe in what this church is going for, and what this is at the center of the DNA of this church, and it's just been a a pleasure to be a part of, uh, and it's amazing to get a chance to talk to that. So, uh, I'm, I'm a science teacher, that is what I do, uh, I'm I will, a physics teacher and a maths teacher, uh, in Helensborough, and I thought I'd start it by a little teaching introduction. So, uh, I want to talk about a, uh, a subject that's really close to my heart today, but, and it's about kind of like one of the central aspects of who God is, like one of the things that really is essential to God's being in his person. So, um, how about we now get some crowd participation? And how about you just shout out some of the words that you think are central to God and who he is. Go on. Good? Yes. Love. Yes. Golden star. This is, that is the, uh, the ultimate answer. Yeah, anything else? Faithful. <laughs> Creative, compassionate. Oh, so good. Father, holy. Grace, grace, mercy, full of grace. That was three words, but you know. So, all these amazing words that we just like, I mean, isn't it great that we worship a God that we can associate these kind of words to? Like, and, and actually, I was quite happy that my word didn't get, didn't get shouted out there. Or maybe it got whispered. Um, I didn't hear it, because I want to talk about something that I believe is bang in the middle of God's heart. And that's a big, it's a big statement, that, isn't it? It's a bit controversial to say something like that in church. Um, but I want, to, I want to say that, and I want to say that um, I believe that beauty is bang in the middle of who God is. And it's actually one of these things that, you know, it's a suitably vague word that actually incorporates pretty much all the other words into it. So that's kind of... <laughs> cheating a little bit but you know it's 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 actually right at the beginning and right in the middle of who God is and then I mean what better place to prove this than to to go to the Bible wow that was nice 
than to go to the Bible and open it on the first page. And the first page actually is just says Holy Bible, but <laughs> yeah, so it's actually more like the 15th page when you finally get to it. And it says, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created. The first adjective ascribed to God in the Bible on the first page is in the beginning, God created. And he created the heavens and the earth. And you know, like, I swear I'll get my physics hat on, because... Because <laughs> the heavens and the earth is, is, is astounding. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, we can't get our heads around it. I mean, I've got some pictures to, to give it a go, Matt, if you want to get it. So, it's a, you know, years ago, we, we, we launched this telescope called the Hubble Telescope into space. And we started taking pictures. And this is one of the pictures of all these galaxies containing millions of stars themselves all around and then we'll skip through them we'll go through them nice and quickly now this next one that's just looking these pictures look rubbish on the screen they should be seen on a nice retina display but um, anyway you know this is looking at clouds in space go on with stars this next one is the formation of stars themselves these nebula um, in this kind of finger pattern another nebula there creating stars carry on yeah, this is looking right into a cloud where, the, where a star is being drawn together. All of those, um, all, the, all the dust and matter is coming together and swirling around to create a beautiful star. This is like a nebula, which is this kind of eye shape, which is just sitting there. Like, they just took a picture of it. It's amazing, yeah? Carry on. And this is another, like, bubble nebula, um, which, again, is creating stars. They don't just form, like in one kind of way. They form all sorts of ways. Like, this next one, look at that. It looks like a butterfly. Can you believe it? That's, that's a star getting created that looks like a butterfly. And these are like two galaxies just like swirling together in some kind of mad way. And this is a pint of Guinness, right? How, how does that relate to, to all that cosmic beauty and all that incredible... I didn't expect that to come up then, but, you know, it did. I was going to explain it first. But basically, um, like, if you're sitting in a pub with a pint of Guinness, you can say that all these pictures, right, to go back to this, all these photos, they're not just taken with, like, a, a camera. They're taken by gathering gamma rays, x-rays, radio waves, every kind of way that we can possibly collect and, and like, understand energy makes up these photos that we have. And when we look out into space, we can see incredibly far to the outer edges of the universe, gathering all this information. Like, that is unbelievable. We can see right to the edges, right? But did you know that with all of our instruments that we can possibly understand and see, and observe, even what's going around us in this room, it's only like the Guinness. It's only the white head on top of a Guinness. It's actually only less than 5% of, of the universe is actually observable by what we have, by the science that we have, you know? And that means that all that black stuff, which is quite good for this illustration, because they turn it, well, they turn 60% of it as dark energy, and they turn 20% of it as dark matter. So 80% of the universe is what we call dark, ironic, 
because, you know, it might be lighter than we think, but it's classed as dark energy and dark matter that we can't see, right? And it's just amazing, like, the universe. And then when we actually go small and we go into, like, the tiny, tiny, minute details, every time we think, oh, we've gone, we find the smallest particle, we found the smallest thing, and then we find, oh, no, there's actually smaller, you know? And it's, it's just every time we think we understand something, like, oh, yeah, we get it, the Big Bang formed it because the universe is expanding and we see that, but then we see, oh, no, well, actually, the universe is expanding and it's accelerating, which doesn't make sense with Einstein's theory, so we have to decide that actually there's all this dark energy which is doing all this, and all of a sudden, every time we think we get something, it opens up a million other possibilities. Isn't that... Like, amazing. Like, I love science. <laughs> I love just the fact that actually, like, every time we think we get it, we just don't. And we, we just, like, you know, like, goes back to student science in school, and they show you, like, the electrons going around an atom, and then you get to next year, and they're like, oh, that's wrong, actually. It's like this. <laughs> All right. So you just lied to us. Yeah. That's what they do. So my question is, like, why? Why this unfathomable abundance? Why this massive, massive, massive creation with such like astoundingly beautiful things like a butterfly nebula, which no one's going to see apart from we randomly managed to see it at the right time, like pointing a telescope in the right direction. You know, it's unbelievable that we actually managed to get that image. But imagine all the other things that are going on that will never be observed. Imagine all the, like, just, just that vastness. Why? Imagine like going to God and being like, why, why did you create that? Like, can you imagine like what, what he would say? Is anyone, you're looking at me like, what would he say? <laughs> well, I asked him, but he said, well, <laughs> um, I think it would be like going to Beethoven and asking him like, why did you make that yeah. piece of music? Or Picasso, why did you paint that painting? Or Vermeer, he painted my favorite painting, the, the girl with the pearl earring. Like, be like, why did you paint that? Why that girl with that pearl earring? Or, or why, you know, why Da Vinci? Did you make all those weird drawings of people in circles and, and work out loads of mathematics and stuff and invent things? Why? why? Like, why, God, did you go to such great extents creating something so abundantly vast and beautiful and so beyond us? And I think he'd go, what? I think Beethoven would go, what? And Vermeer would go, like, what are you talking about? Why? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, look at it. Just take a look at this creation. Just take a look at, like, this. Does it not fill you with wonder? Civilization, not since it was born, not been filled with wonder. The stars and the sun and the moon and the celestial planets and, and everything that's going along. Like, is it not totally self-explanatory. Like, this is... I'm Beethoven. It's what I do. Even when I'm deaf, I still do it. I still just make, like, amazingly beautiful music because that's what... That's, like, who I am. It's just... It's like... It's like putting me into another form is going to be that piece of music. And it's just a piece of, of my complex mind. It's just a piece of, like, of who I am placed. And, like... When, when God said in, in, in verse 3, he said, and, and it was good, and he says this, it was good, it was good, it was good. That word can be translated as, it, the Hebrew is tov, and it can equally be translated as beautiful. Like just this un, 
unbelievably abundant, pointless beauty. Like, just like for the sake of it. Just because I'm God. And I felt like it. You know, that's kind of like what I get the feeling of. Um, It's just who he is. It's what he does. And um, I remember having this chat with a, a friend. And he um, struggling with worship music. And I've had this same struggle, and I've had friends who've had this struggle, because they have this thing like, well, what a, like, worship music. Um, the problem is that, like, people are just, like, getting excited because it's good music sometimes. And if it's bad music, they don't get excited. And they're just getting carried away in the music and the excitement of, like, you know, the vibe and the, and, and, and the good sound of music. And... Um, and I was like, fair enough. But, I mean, I, I, I didn't used to be a hands-up, sing-with-my-eyes-closed kind of person. I used to be a very, like, rational, conservative Christian. And um, I went to India and got totally, like, messed up by God um, in a place where the worship music was horrendous. <laughs> like, they could not play their instruments. And yet, like, I found myself, like, Utterly, like, like having the same ecstatic feeling that I would have at my favorite music band ever, you know? And, 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 and so when I was talking to this friend, I was like, well, actually, like, the problem is that music is, in itself, a beautiful thing. And it's, it's not just that, but it's like, it's a transcendent thing. Yeah. It's like music, when it's played well, when it's played beautifully, is actually itself a doorway into the heavenlies. Like these stars and the sun and the cosmos, like a beautiful painting, like a film, like a creation. It's actually something that helps us to see what heaven is like, helps us to look into what is going on um, with God. And it's a, it's a glimpse into his heart. So, so yeah, there is, with worship music, there is. You know, Mark made an amazing sermon last week talking about how it affects the spiritual and the heavenlies. And, you know, it's about passion and it's about our hearts open up to God. But it's also, like when we worship, we often use music because music itself is something that, that, um, that opens up to God. And, and like I, you know, again, before I was like, hands up, close your eyes, Christian, I went to a Radiohead gig when I was 17 and I was the biggest Radiohead fan in the world. Like, I would have, like, died for Radiohead. You know, like, I was, like, <laughs> and I was going to see Tom York on the stage, and it was amazing. And then he, like, they came on the stage, and I was, like, ah! And that, that two hours of my life was just, I was in heaven. You know, and I, I actually remember putting my hands up and praising Jesus. Yeah. I was saying, thank you, God, for this beautiful music. Because even though these people <laughs> and all the rest of these 100,000 people probably have no idea like, where this is coming from. <laughs> and, like, these guys who are making this music, they don't even understand, but actually, yeah. they're, like, following in God's footsteps, creating something utterly beautiful. And I was just astounded and actually turned my eyes to God um, in that moment. Um, when I was at the Taj Mahal, I got some pictures of that, actually. That's quite fun. And, uh, oh, there's another thing. Yeah, there was some paintings and stuff there. You can go through there, it doesn't matter. Anyway, and I was at the Taj Mahal, and this is the first thing you see, right? And I, I had seen the Taj Mahal in pictures all my life and photos and stuff. And I wasn't, I was like, you know, you go to it because you're in India, and therefore 
you do it. And I was not ready for it, because I walked through that door, and I was like, I stood still, I was on my own, and I was just like, wow. Like, there was something that almost knocked me off my feet. Like, seeing this thing that was so iconic that I had just seen, like, images of and whispers of all my life in the, like, in its entirety, it, like, it moved me to tears. Like, I was, I couldn't believe how beautiful this was. Like, just that curve of the roof when I saw it on that day, I was like, it's just like the perfect curve. Like, how did they make that all those years ago? Did they just, like, no, who knows, right? <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, because I couldn't believe it. I mean, it's huge. Those little tiny people, if you go on for another picture, like, that was it coming closer. And, like, pictures are just rubbish. Like, they just, I mean, when I look at that photo, I go back to what I saw with my eyes, and that was amazing. When I show you this, you're just like, yeah, it's another picture of the Taj Mahal. And, you know, if you don't really care about buildings like I do, then it probably, like, you just say, can we get to the next point? Um, but then there is a next point, which is quite funny as well. So, <laughs> so this is at the side of the Taj Mahal, and this is when I went a few years later with Naomi, and she's in that little group of people getting photos, and all those people in the picture were actually queuing up to take photos with Naomi. And it's really bizarre. Like, we're in India here. Like, they just assume you're celebrities. Um, and so, yeah, we just had, like, cues taken up. But actually, it was quite an interesting picture of how actually, like, even with this beautiful creation, you had all this queue up wanting to take a photo of a human being, a white human being, <laughs> in this sense. And uh, it's just so bizarre. But, um, and it shows you, like, actually, you know, the epitome of God's creation was man and, and humans, and they were very good. But I can't actually go into that because that would be a whole other sermon. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to carry on. Another thing, marching drums, like, you can go into the back, yeah. Marching drums going through, um, like, history, they always march into battle with drums. Boom, 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 boom. What is it? Why? I mean, you're not going to kill someone with a drum. <laughs> Unless, use your imagination. But, you know, you don't want to go there. It's not beautiful, right? <laughs> so, but, <laughs> you're not going to, like, why go into battle with drums in front of you? Because, like, what is it? The, the drums themselves? Is it the, the rhythm in them? Is something there that actually ignites courage. And it, like, when I listen to certain music, you know, it makes me feel like I shouldn't listen to music riding my bike. Because if I listen, listen to certain artists, you know, I feel like I'm a motorbike. And I feel like, like I'm one of those guys on the TV who could like go off cliffs and land and stuff, you know, and I will get injured. But it's just to say that music actually can stir within us this. And, and I like, obviously, uh, David. David in the Old Testament. I mean, when he played the harp, Saul's demon and his oppression left him. Yeah. Was that because, like, he was singing, Jesus? No, don't think so. I reckon he was just playing a harp. Yeah. And I think he was just playing that harp really beautifully. And he had a gift from God. And he had an anointing on him. And so when he played this beautiful music, it was actually had the power of God within it. And, you know, sometimes art doesn't need, like, a reason. Like, a piece of art doesn't necessarily need to heal someone. It doesn't need to prophesy over someone or something. It can just be beautiful. And it can just be, like, creation. 
like a galaxy sitting there that no one will ever see, but God created it, and he knows it inside out. You know, and it can just be something that actually, like, by us creating beauty, we actually make the world a better place. It's another doorway. It's another window into heaven. It's another way to bring heaven to earth. Um, I thought, I'm going to have to move on. Just flying. Another thing. So... I had another friend, and they, I remember years ago, so there was um, all this stuff of the glory cloud at Bethel was happening, you know, Bethel Church, and the, anyway, like, a few years ago, this glory cloud started coming, and they caught it on YouTube and stuff, and there's all these sparkly things flying around, and everyone would be like, whoa, and I showed it to my friend on YouTube, being like, isn't this awesome, isn't this awesome, you were there, it was, there. It was amazing, there you go. That's surprisingly ordinary. <laughs> yeah. So I, I showed my friend on YouTube, and, uh, and they were like, okay, okay. And then they went home. I was like, all right. And then uh, a week went by, and then like, I chatted to him again. I was like, oh, yeah, so what do you think? Like, I haven't like, talked about that. Like, what? And she was like, that like, really, really annoyed me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. And she was like, yeah, I had like an argument with my husband like, about, and we never argue. Like, I was so annoyed. Like, and she's a Christian, like not hands in the air. <laughs> not like a charismatic Christian, not a, um, as we'd say. But she, um, she got really annoyed with this. And she was like, why? Like, there's people starving in the world. There's people dying. All the time. There's people out in the street who <laughs> need Jesus who are going to, you know, sleep on a pavement tonight. And he's making a stupid sparkly cloud. Like, what is he doing? Like, either that's not God or that's not a God I want to worship was kind of like the conclusion she came to. Like, either they're firing sparkles in the air vents or, like, I'm just... I just don't, I don't like that God. And it was like, and, it, and I remember thinking about it, and, it, and like it, it just, it instantly takes you to this story in the New Testament, which is like pretty much the same thing happening in Matthew 26. Like Jesus is like coming to, to the end of his, of his life on earth. And like, um, and it says in verse 6 on chapter 26, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were furious. This is like not like they were like blasé. All right, they were like absolutely breaking chairs off the tables because they were annoyed. What is doing? Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. That was the that would have been my response, hands down, times a million. Definitely would have been in it. Like sometimes my other disciples, they were wrong. I wouldn't have been like that. This time I'm like, yeah. 
fair enough. You could have sold that. You could have given it to the poor. But, like, just imagine waiting for Jesus in that moment. Just imagine, like, sitting there. In that place, in that room. It's kind of a bizarre story. Like, this woman comes along. I don't know if she took him by surprise and just, like, poured it over his head (laughs) as he was talking. Midpoint, getting to the, like, in a heated debate. (laughs) Splash. Stinking point, perfume. Like, I don't know what the context was, but you can imagine him. He's sitting there and he's like, now he's wet at the table. And the disciples are like, furious! And they stand, and Jesus is just there. And they're like, what's he going to do? And they've been with him all his life now, and they know, like, he surprises you. Like, he never, ever does what you expect, does he? (laughs) And you're like, is he going to be like, can I have a towel, please? (laughs) 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 Is he going to humiliate her? (laughs) You know, what is he going to say? And he says, Jesus... Aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. And it's like, in that moment, everything I thought about God and Jesus is like, Wow, you're different to what I think. You do different stuff to how I want to do it which is weird. I thought I understood and got you. And like Jesus is not, and God is not a utilitarian. And a utilitarian, like utilitarianism means like practical over beauty. It means um, doing the greatest good for the greatest number of people and bringing the greatest amount of happiness to the greatest amount of people. But Jesus and God and the kingdom of heaven does not work like that. Whether you like it or not, it's a fact. God is not a utilitarian, and God cared about that woman's indulgent, extravagant, overly abundant piece of worship. You know, the disciples, like, they wanted good things. It's good to feed the poor. It's good to go out and and see the world changed for God. It's good to want to sell what you've got and sacrifice it and give it away, isn't it? That's a beautiful thing. And yet Jesus defended this woman and said, she's done a beautiful thing and she will be remembered for it. And I just find that an amazing story. And like, why, why do we get offended? Why did my friend get offended? Why would I get, like, this stupid sparkly cloud? And God doesn't make sparkly clouds. He parts seas and drowns Egyptians in the flood. And he, he goes and he inscribes tablets of laws with thunderbolts <laughs> like the movies you know that's what God does no like God makes sparkly glory clouds <laughs> if he wants to and he does abundant extravagant pointless beautiful things because that's the kind of God he is and I think that when we get offended it's because we want to be like God and because we think we understand God and we think, nah, nah, God, 
this is how it works. You feed the poor, that's what you do. That's what you meant to Everyone had an agenda for Jesus. When Jesus came, everyone was like, ask oh, the Messiah. You're meant to be this, and you're meant to, I know my Bible. I went to Sunday school. You're meant to do this and this and this. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to die, actually. Yeah. Sorry, guys, to put a dampener. <laughs> I'm going to rise again. And they, they, I don't think they heard that. But. And... Like, we need to get over our, our pride and our, and our ideas of what God should be. Because, like, we're all rooting for revival to come. And we're all believing revival is going to come. And we all believe revival has started and is coming and, and is here and is amongst us and is going to come in heavier and greater and greater amounts. And God is going to pour out his spirit on Glasgow and on Scotland and on the world like and yet like throughout history when revivals come people generally treat them with pretty like quite a lot of suspicion until maybe 50 years later and then they're like oh that was a pretty good thing actually wasn't it (laughs) I threw stones at it when I was here but like actually it was pretty good it did quite a lot of good stuff for humanity you know Maybe we should have got alongside them then. <laughs> because every time God comes, he seems to blow our minds again. Yeah, like science. Like when you think you got to the atom and then you're like, oh, there's quarks and stuff, you know? Yeah. There's all sorts of things going on in there. As soon as we think we get it, God comes, he's like, actually, yeah. there's more to me that you don't know yet. Because yeah. God can't be confined to the pages of the Bible, to written words themselves. He must bring these words alive for us to get revelation. God can't be confined to any kind of human little brain size idea. God is way bigger. And he's going to come and he's going to surprise us and he's going to offend us and he's going to put us out of our comfort zones and make us feel like, is that God? Really? But you know what? Like, If you want to be a part of that and you want to actually receive the goodness from it we're going to have to start treating God not as a utilitarian and not treating him in our own image of what we think he should be and another thing is like when when Jesus you know, like, he, he illustrated this all his life because he'd walk around and, you know, like, everything he did would mean that he didn't do something somewhere else, didn't it? Yeah. Like he stopped for Zacchaeus. Like, everyone's yeah. like, why are you stopping for Zacchaeus? He's annoying, he's small. And he, like, <laughs> took all of our money, by the way. And, like, yeah. he's a greedy little so-and-so. He's got a big treasure chest full of my money. Yeah. And, like... Jesus stops for his one person. He's like, there's, there's blind people, there's lepers, there's people waiting for you. Why are you stopping for Zacchaeus? Why are you going up a hill to pray with God? Why are you talking to disciples when there's people here that need to be healed? Why are you going with that centurion when there's the folk over here? Well, there's the whole thousands who need to hear you. Why are you just talking to those three kids over there? Like, imagine the choices Jesus would have faced. Like, just imagine how hard your choices are. I get overwhelmed, you know. I won't even include an illustration because it'd be embarrassing. (laughs) 
Um, my final point I want to go on to is, is actually like I had, I had those, those two discussions in the past and then the last discussion was with myself. And it's actually a personal story of, of, of beauty and um, of losing beauty and losing sight of beauty because like not, not that long ago, like, you know, if, you asked, if they asked me to do a sermon a year ago, I would have hands down said, no, thanks, that's not me anymore. I'm quite happy, like, doing what I'm doing and stuff and going along with that. Um, like, I was in a place that was pretty bad. I had forgotten myself. I had forgotten who I was, like, what I was meant to do. I was um, disappointed and... Ultimately, I was stuck in idolatry. And you know, the interesting thing is that actually it was idolatry of the dreams that God had given me. These beautiful dreams to do great things in the world. Beautiful dreams to make beautiful music, to heal people and change the world. Beautiful dreams to feed the poor and see the lepers rise and all these dreams. And yet they were the thing that became the idol and without me actually like kind of realizing, I kind of did and I kind of didn't admit it, I don't know. But these things, they shifted to the top of my priorities. Like, like this beautiful thing was actually the most important thing and it shifted God down and it shifted my family down and it shifted my friends and my connection down and it shifted my church down. And all of a sudden, I was a very lost, lost person. And um, there's a really fine line between beauty and idolatry. You know, it's like, it's the age-old story, isn't it? That Eve looked to the apple and it was good. It was tobe. It was beautiful. And she ate it. Solomon was probably the guy who most understood beauty in the whole Bible. He, he had wisdom from God. He, he created the temple of God, which was like the most beautiful. It was the wonder of the world. And God, his presence dwelt in it. His cloud dwelt in a temple made by man's hands. And Solomon, even he ended his life. He, he was the one who got beauty. And yet, women led him astray. Like he, his love of women, his love of sex, his love of whatever, like these idols came about. And like these idols in the Bible, they're not just like, you know, sticks. Like with, oh, people are so stupid in the Old Testament, they just worshipped sticks. <laughs> they went away from God. And it was actually like, no, it was about like the thing behind it. Each, each idol had an actual, you know, like they would promise stuff. Yeah. And they were, it was more like the idol of sensuality. Yeah. It was the idol of power and money. I was the idol of provision and abundance and things that are good, that are warped, that become actually the idols to us. And C.S. Lewis put this better than anyone I know. I read this book recently and I was just like, I saw this quote and I was like, that's only Clive Staples could come up with something like this. And he says, the books or the music in which we thought beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them, it only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty or the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they're not the thing, they're only a scent of a flower. We've not found an echo 
of a tune we've not heard or news from a country we've not yet visited. And he talks about how these things, these beautiful, beautiful dreams and ambitions for me, they're doorways into heaven. They're things that God has given us good gifts. Beautiful music is a doorway into heaven. Beautiful acts are doorways into heaven. They bring us to a new place. And yet we can be stood there worshipping a door. Worshipping a window. Instead of realizing what's on the other side. Intimacy with God himself. And you know, like, my, my story ends well so far. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It'll end well. God got me out of that. And he did it through people. And like, he did it in an amazing way that people came to me when I needed them. And they found me and they listened to me and I was honest with them and they drew me back. And um, I'm not there. <laughs> I mean, it's a journey, isn't it? And the journey is beautiful itself. And so often we're like, we have to be there or we're there. Either there or there, but I don't want to be in between. And yet the journey is the beautiful thing. And the story is beautiful. And our victories are beautiful. And when we go in defeat and then we realize who we are and we come back out, that is beautiful in itself. And, you know, we're all on a journey um, in this. And, and for me, I remember a certain point in January and I was in a worship time with our great little community that we have in Yoka. And, um, and I had my eyes closed and I hadn't sang anything. And people were probably thinking Tim's not really enjoying the worship time. But I was like really just wrestling with my heart. And I said to God in that moment, I was like, God, you know what? Like, I, would, I would bin these dreams. I was like, I could have never said that before. I was like, if that means that I can have you and intimacy with you and the knowledge of you as my dad and totally and utterly the pleasure of being your son every day, if I can have that, I would bin like the rest right now. And I put him to number one and I put my family to number two and I said, you know what? And I'd bin them because I want my family. And I've been them because I want my community and my friendships and my church and my family. And I want to be who I am. And God didn't say been them. <laughs> like, like he, you know, and, and right now my dreams aren't my focus. They're like, you know, and, and they're still there. And God's still giving me stuff and it's great. But that isn't the focus point anymore. The focus point is my intimacy with my dad and realizing what's past the window, what's past the door, what is actually open out to. And, and it was a bit like the woman with the ointment, wasn't it? You know, she, the disciples had all their dreams and yet the woman with the ointment just wanted Jesus and just wanted to give the most precious possible thing that she could possibly preciously give to the one thing that she wanted. It was just one thing. And, um, you know, there's probably people here today, and that's what I end on, who 
like me. We're in a place, and to some degree we all are, because it is the oldest story in the book. To some degree we've got idolatry in our hearts still. To some degree we're, we're not letting go of stuff. And we've got our focus in the wrong place, and it'll only, only lead to disappointment and broken hearts. And whether it's sex, or whether it's power, or whether it's provision, and you like and needing them, or whether it's people, or whether it's status, whatever it is. Whatever it is, it can cripple us and it can rob us from what God has for us. You know what? He wants us to fall in love with Him again. He wants us to find beauty in the simple things. The most simplest thing of all, walking hand in hand with my dad. He wants us to see these doorways and these windows as glimpses, views into heaven and not as the idol itself. And then, and ultimately he wants us to flood us with greater abundance and greater intimacy with him. Can we stand? And And I just want to, I just want to pray for us. Um, just put your hands out, or put them on your heart, or however you want to receive from God. I just want to say, Dad, we want you. And we understand that you are the most precious thing. That you are the thing that all these other things are pointing to. That you are the joy giver the life bringer, that you speak life into dead bones. If we've forgotten ourselves, if we've lost ourselves, if we've forgotten who we are and what we're all about, I just declare new life. And I just speak life into those dead bones. Thank you that you're a good God and thank you that you care about beauty so much you are beauty and I pray that you would flood our lives with beauty this week Lord that we would see beauty in new ways that we would see them as glimpses into heaven to partner with Father just bring life in abundance Amen